Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Contiki Podcast. My name is Eric Mahoney, and I'm broadcasting from quarantine here in Brooklyn, New York. I hope this finds you well as we collectively ride out the storm here together. You know, I I really can't sugarcoat this too much. Uh, Things are looking fairly bleak here in my neck of the woods. Um, I just want to really give a, a truly heartfelt thank you to all the medical workers who are operating on a heroic level right now. You know, their work and sacrifice is a gift to the city and to our humanity, and it's really astounding what they're doing right now to care for others. I I just wanted to go on record and say that here at the top of the show, you know. Um, in an attempt to uh, care for my own sanity, as well as stay busy and, and connected, I've been calling up some of my favorite musicians, filmmakers, and artists and asking them one burning question. What is your pick for an amazing double feature film? And uh, these conversations have been tremendous so far. Um, They've been a great deal of fun. And not only have I gotten some really good recommendations from people, I've also gained a lot of insight uh, on some movies that I haven't seen in a long time, which has been really cool. Uh, it's been part of this that, I, that I've enjoyed quite a bit, and uh, I'm happy to share that with you today. On the show, we have Natasha Khan, also known as Bat for Lashes. Natasha is a true creative force. Um, she's a musician, she's a director, and in my humble opinion, a ideal candidate for, uh, for the show. So uh, let's head over to our conversation with Natasha and uh, get her picks for her best double feature recommendation. Hello? Hey, Natasha. Hi. (laughs) Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Just made myself a coffee. Haven't really bothered to get out of my dressing gown yet, but that's just the way (laughs) it is. I feel like that's becoming more and more of a challenge these days. I know, I have all these best intentions of getting up and I'm going to do yoga at 8 a.m. And, it, you know, it happens, but just a bit later on in the day. <laughs> I, I noticed that just putting on proper pants actually puts me in a, in a much more uh, proficient mindset, though. You know, it's just, it's just the, it's something yeah. about the, uh, the sweatpants. Just, just switching out the sweatpants. Just uh, <laughs> uh, really, it really, it really yeah. kicks things up a notch. <laughs> I should probably just have a suit hanging on my door, so if I put it on, I feel like I can actually get some work done. But <laughs> it's been um, it's been a really it's been interesting. It's been nice because there's just um, nothing else to do but cook and clean out cupboards and and stretch and tr- take the dog for a walk and you know and try and get in touch with family and um, there's definitely work things I need to do too. But I've sort of been enjoying that. Of the um, confinement. 
No, there's a part of it that is very nice, and it's like a reset. It's a forced reset, I think, and it slows. Yeah, it does it, it slows you down, and I think it makes you, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, absolutely refocus on some other things that perhaps have not gone, you know, uh, properly attended for a long time. And um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a good. There's an opportunity with all of this sadness and and kind of panic and and, and hardship uh, for us, I think, to. Um, to be a little more introspective and collectively look at, you know, where, where we are and where we're heading moving forward out of this, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. So there, there are positives yeah. for sure. Yeah. But films have definitely we're, been getting me out of the, um, <laughs> out of the boredom. Just rediscovering. Yeah. It helps. Cool movies. Yeah. And watching, um, some really good horror films on Shudder. I don't know if you have Shudder, but, um, me and my my boyfriend have just been checking out loads of old. Is it Dario Argento who did um Suspiria and just watching loads of yeah. his weird weird seventies horror films and oh, yeah, just cool. getting into things we haven't seen yet and wanted to see for a long time. Oh, cool! Yeah, I mean that was sort of the catalyst for me, sort of picking up the phone and reaching out to a bunch of people about this. Is just you know, uh, yeah. kind of trying to promote people staying in a little bit and then also giving them some ideas um, as to some, some films that they could watch that perhaps they hadn't heard of or, or, or perhaps they want to revisit after a long period of time. So, so thanks for, uh, thanks for being so uh, willing to, to hop on and do it. I really appreciate it. Sure. Of course. Well, let's dive in. So tell me, um, you know, what is your recommendation for a good double feature? If you have an evening to kind of uh, spend watching, watching films. Um, well, my suggestion for a double feature would be um, Stand By Me and The Lost Boys. Um, and just thinking about those two movies, I feel like they would actually, they, I'd actually really enjoy watching those back to back. And I was wondering why they sort of popped into my head as a, a duo. Um, and I think it's just because in sort of similar ways, they're both sort of coming-of-age stories. One of them, Stand By Me, is sort of a drama about a gang of best friends that are all sort of 12 or 13 years old, coming of age, um, and it's just beautiful and sad and poignant and set in the 1950s, and there's sort of a lot of trauma and, you know, family stuff going on, but their bond is so strong. And the soundtrack and just everything about that film was so, um, it's still so relevant because I think just thinking about those friendships you create when you're really young, they're very unique and special and you go through things together, initiations and rites of passage that perhaps later on in life don't seem so intense. Um, And so I chose that one. And then for some reason, like the flip side of that for me, and another film made in the 80s is The Lost Boys. And, and I loved that because it was sort of a much more hyped up, sexy, funny, like scary version of coming of age. And um, there's a new, like um, a mum and her two sons moved to a new town. And, um, you know, the older boy is sort of probably in his late teens and he's coming of age. But it, this whole kind of being initiated into this gang of vampires is very sexy and it sort of takes over him and he has this obsession with the darkness and it's all very um, stylish and cool and fun. So, yeah, when I initially thought of two films together, I just thought if you 
if you ha- if you watch those back to back, I think they're a really nice transition, and they're both also you know two films of my favourites from the decade of the eighties. Yeah, I really like these two, and I like when you when you mentioned that to me. Um, per, probably too, because I think we, we're probably very similar in age, so I think that these films hit us probably as we were similar ages to the to the to the mm-hmm. characters in the films so that that also like yeah. has some nostalgia for me personally with these movies and also like rob reiner joel schumacher that that period you know uh, both of these directors that was for some reason the 80s to me really hit it out of the park in terms of the coming of age story and i don't know i can't really mm-hmm. put my finger on why tonally those films um did such a good job expressing that that time of life in, in a in in a sort of a, a fundamentally really sweet and funny way you know i don't know if it, i don't know mm-hmm. what it was i think that's why stranger things has been so successful there's something about emulating that time period and the films that are being made around um you know adolescence that that really mm-hmm. that really connects for some reason and i don't know exactly why that is but uh but that certainly is the case for me I mean, there's so there's so many films like that yeah, I, I agree. And I think my, my theory on it is that um, much like, because I've, you know, I've read a lot about Steven Spielberg just because I love his films that are sort of mm-hmm. those coming of age supernatural dramas. And he was saying, I think a lot of the directors of that time coming sort of into their maturation as directors were coming from that sort of baby boom idea of the family with the 2.4 children, you know, that whole thing of, the perfect family and then I think the 80s was sort of the first time that that a lot of dramas came out that really addressed those broken families and single parent families like both families in in Stand By Me and Lost Boys come from you know trauma and tragedy within the family and that sort of suburban American dream being kind of cracked open a bit um and I, I just think something happened in the 80s especially with the directors perhaps Steven Spielberg always sort of described E.T. as being like a metaphor for his loneliness as a child and his confusion coming from a divorced family. Um, And I think now we've kind of almost gone into a place before Stranger Things, you know, outside of that, where everything's so postmodern and so self-aware and gritty and dark. And we're all sort of used to that thing of like teenagehood is so fucked up and dark and difficult. But I think with... um, I think with the 80s, like you say, there was still this sort of poignancy and sweetness that people weren't embarrassed to express, um, mm-hmm. like a, naive, a naivety and a hope and the dark and the light kind of sat next to each other quite beautifully. And um, yeah, and I think, like you say, Stand by, uh, Strange Things has become so popular because there's that element of escapism and excitement and adventure alongside the darkness and the difficulty. That's a really interesting point about about the family. I hadn't I hadn't actually really thought about that, but you're right because I think in today we, we you know the the culture around parenting is, is swings way more to the helicopter parenting kind of approach. Um, mm-hmm. where, you know, the kids have to be attended to every second. All their needs mm-hmm. need to be met and stimulated. And and this was a time period where it was like you know the term was like latchkey kids. Um, you know, I'm thinking like like the Goonies, yeah. for instance, like. Yeah, like the, yeah. The, you know, the, all these kids were left to their own devices at very young ages in these films, um, which mm. led them into these adventures, which is really cool. But also, there's this sort of undertone there 
of yeah, like where are the parents actually, you know, and, and what's happening at yeah. home, and that that probably is very reflective of the times. So that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah, and I think partly why I like to revisit those films is just as a kid myself, coming from a single single parent family, I was off out playing in fields, hanging out on bridges, you know, <laughs> smoking with my friends and um, doing things way too young that we shouldn't have been doing and going on adventures, fishing. And, you know, there was definitely um, a freedom to explore and a sadness, like you say, that there wasn't more discipline, there wasn't more attention. And um, nowadays you'd be like, those kids are neglected. <laughs> but in some ways I'm right. so happy that that we had that the the like you say the sort of beauty of that is that you bond you and you make your family with your friends instead and um the sort of the family unit when it is broken up you know you can transfer that onto your 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 school friends and then when you have those adventures together like you you were saying you know it's something that where there's no adults around so you're kind of working it out for yourself which in some ways, I think that the kids of those films just had more maturity or perhaps more depth um, because they were allowed to go out and explore and, and experience these sort of dark and light passages. Um, well, and it was sort of the um, last generation before before technology, um, too, mm-hmm. or the, the the real pendulum swing with technology anyway, um, where you had to sort of invent uh, a lot of things and, and be creative. And I think that's why, you know, they ended up going on these these type of adventures and things because there was, you know, they had to they were just left to, to their minds to create stories and to um and to in, yeah. in, invent, uh, you know, mysteries to un- to unravel and things like that, which was <laughs> yeah. really interesting. Because because now looking back, it seems you know it wasn't very it wasn't that long ago, but it it was you know it was ages ago in terms of um kind of where we are uh, as a society, uh, technology uh, wise now, mm-hmm. like the development of the imagination and how boredom breeds, like you say, inventiveness. You know, I think. Being a creative person for me, boredom has been harder to come by. And and actually, talking about this time, this strange time that we're in, where we've all been sort of put into confinement. <laughs> it's like we've all been sent to our bedrooms with no toys, and like you have to just go and think about what you've done. Or it's this feeling of you know maybe we've been so busy and things have been so intense for so long, and with technology and stimulation and just having these days that are going on and it feels monotonous but I'm definitely getting this interesting connection back to being a child on those long summer holidays where I ran out of things to do and and I was bored um but then that gave rise to me sitting at the piano and improvising for hours on end or writing strange stories or doing a project on like otters or something you know getting my microscope out and being fascinated by leaves under the microscope or, or something like that so there's sort of this sure. really interesting feeling that oh there's this inertia and this this boredom and this lack of energy but at the same time maybe that's a gateway to something that I haven't accessed for a very long time and maybe that's why these films they sort of keep they always return to me you know no matter how old I get those sorts of films come back but I think it's because they're sort of this beautiful reminder of where the treasure's hidden, you know, where the good stuff is. 
Um, oh, that's, really, that's, that's a nice sentiment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like that. And also, both films feature Corey Feldman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> and Kiefer Sutherland, you're right. So yeah. what it boils down to is it, it's, it's a good old Feldman-Sutherland uh, double-punch combo there is what you're, is what you're uh, proposing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if there's any link at all, that's the, 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 the link. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean... Sutherland, what a legend of that time, and and Corey Feldman as well. And um, I remember when I first met him. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, well, and and obviously River Phoenix is in Stand by Me. Jason Patrick is in The Lost Boys. uh, Yeah, so Diane Weist. I mean, they've they've Edward Herman. They've they've wonderful cast. Uh, Stephen King wrote Stand by Me. It's 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 really it's really a wonderful screenplay uh, that got a lot of you know award nominations that year. They're, They're really well crafted films for sure, for sure. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the recommendations. I think this is a really nice combo. 1986, 1987, um, very similar cast, um, tones, themes. Um, this is a really nice uh, double feature. I like this a lot. What, um, you know, so, so we'd worked together um, briefly on an anthology project a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. Are you, are you, or do you have any film, uh, film work in, in, development going on right now well actually i do and i just um i went to i did a course at ucla um like at the end of last year um to develop a script that i've been writing which is kind of connected to um the lost girls record i just released and it's actually about um a gang of girl vampires that um kill by night that stalk like a um, serial killer vampires <laughs> um, and it sounds very hammy but it's actually it's actually pretty dark and magical so I'm sort of working on that script at the moment having done the album which sort of feels like the soundtrack that always happens to me where I create the soundtrack first so I can sort of live in the sonic world and then these characters present themselves um, and so yeah I'm sort of working on that feature length script at the moment and We'll use this time to to continue with that. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're an artist that, that is very much in film, in, sorry, informed by visuals. Uh, I mean, I think that's probably yeah. fair to say, right? I mean, um, you know, I think that um, does 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 your songwriting influence your your um, screenplay ideas, or vice versa, or is there is, is there a kind of a uh, repetitive theme there where one one follows the other or does it not necessarily work that way um i definitely before i write an album i often come up with a narrative structure or storyline um that involves characters and landscapes and colors and places um that's happened several times and i think probably for each album i could describe a film plot and and a place um, and actually, for the there was a concept album I did called The Bride before this record, um, which I wrote a novella to, and it's sort of a series of short chapters, which kind of translates as like a psychedelic sort of road trip. Um, so yeah, I think um, they very much go hand in hand. I studied music with visual art at the university, so it was always the partnership between music and visual. Um, that was sort of how I developed my creativity was thinking about those two things as, as sort of joined together. Um, 
so yeah I've I guess that's always been my process and for me it just it's it's so much more fun to have a bunch of characters and stories and relationships in your mind and then to make the music for that gives me like a huge input for lyrics and and tone and emotionality and like whatever whatever sort of um tension I want to describe or atmosphere I want to create so yeah I think it's for me it's about time I made a feature just to put a visual to all the sonic ideas I have because they're always sort of just as strong as each other I just end up representing the music more um yeah that's sort of where I'd like to go I very much look forward to that. Uh, the short film that you did for the Madly Anthology was was really beautiful. Um, you know, especially as uh, I'm the father of of, of, a, of a of a young girl, and I, I've seen I've seen that piece many many times. So I attended it at festivals, and you know, would mm-hmm. looked over looked over all the finishing work. So I've, I've seen that film many 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 times, and I, there isn't one time where I'm, I don't get completely immersed and choked up. <laughs> um, by how, how, how kind of beautiful and, and touching the, the, the film is. So, so thank you for that contribution. I, I really look forward to uh, to seeing uh, some more some more of your work. I think it's really really powerful. Thanks, Eric. Lovely to chat to you and stay sane and safe. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. So that's the show. I'd like to thank Natasha Khan once again for the great conversation. Her recommendations again were The Lost Boys and Stand By Me, two 1980s coming-of-age classics. Stay up to speed on all of Natasha's artistic endeavors at batforlashes.com. You can also see Natasha's first film in the anthology, Madly, which is available on iTunes, Amazon, and Vimeo. Madly features short films by Gael Garcia Bernal, Mia Vasakaska. Sebastian Silva, Shion Sono, and Anurag Kashyap. Um, I highly recommend it. it. It's a great collection of uh, short love stories from all around the world. So uh, check that out if you want to see Natasha's work behind the camera. Also, if you're looking for a new music documentary, Brainiac Transmissions After Zero is now out. iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo, and DVD. Check it out. It's a great 90s period piece about the band Brainiac. Head over to BrainiacFilm.com. That is BrainiacFilm.com for more information on that one. Until next time, stay in, stay safe, be well.